And welcome back to the Encroachment Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Binkley. And I'm your host, Jonah Binkley. And today we're going to be talking about Rivalry Week, a.k.a. Week 13 of college football. So, first of all, there's been a lot of good games that happened this week. We had Mississippi State Ole Miss. We had Florida, Florida State. We had Oregon falling to Oregon State, which we'll get into at some point. And Alabama absolutely thrashing Auburn. And, of course, Michigan doing the same to Ohio State. So a lot of interesting games took place this week. And the first one I'd like to talk about is Mississippi State versus Ole Miss. So Ole Miss coming into this game, there was controversy about Lane Kiffin possibly accepting the Auburn coaching job. And we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes. But... To start off the game, Ole Miss led 17-16 to until Mississippi State scored right before the second half. Mississippi State hit a field goal early in the fourth quarter to give them the lead, but once Ole Miss got the ball back, Mississippi State's defense stepped up, forcing a sack for a huge loss, and then they tackled them behind the line of scrimmage on third down. And Mississippi State then got the ball in the red zone, and Will Rogers threw it to a wide-open Rara Thomas in the left side of the end zone to give Mississippi State the 24-16 lead. And then Mississippi State's running back seemingly got a 26-yard touchdown run in the red zone, but it was later called down at the one-yard line, which eventually set up the change of the tide of the game when Will Rogers was trying to run an option to the left, and then he fumbled giving the ball right back to Ole Miss, which completely changed the momentum of this game. This was late in the fourth quarter, too. I mean, there was only five minutes left in the game. Ole Miss got possession back, and Ole Miss actually converted four, two fourth downs, and then all of a sudden, it was like Ole Miss's destiny was to win this game. However, as we know, that's not how it turned out to be. Jackson Dart lofted a pass wide open to Dayton Wade in the end zone to cut the lead down 24-22. to And then with extra point being off the table at this point, Ole Miss, they had no choice but to go for a two-point conversion, and this is where things got really interesting. So when they were lining up, Lane Kiffin called a timeout. And he's like, you know, it's kind of understandable, whatever. Make sure, like, this is a crucial decision that you're making here because this is literally the game. But what didn't make sense was Lane Kiffin calling a second timeout after. It's almost like when they lined up in the huddle, they weren't necessarily confident in the play call that they had run. So Lane Kiffin did it again and ultimately iced his own team, which is not something that you see happen very often. So when they finally decide to snap the ball, Ole Miss, they try to do a play which has worked for a few other teams, but honestly, the risk is not worth the reward in this situation. Or, I mean, I guess it it was worth the reward because they would tie up the game, but a shovel pass on a two-point conversion, I don't know if that's really the smart play call. They tried to do a read option with Jackson Dart, and then he tossed it up to the middle to a player that just dropped it. Wasn't ready for the pass, didn't have his eyes on the ball, just dropped it right in his hand, turned the ball over. And I don't know how many times teams, when it's in a short-yarded situation, they line up in shotgun when everything on paper tells you not to do that. Don't line up in shotgun. And if you are going to do it, don't do some gimmicky play like that to try to win the game. I mean, ultimately, you can put pretty much all the blame on Lane Kiffin for losing this game because, I mean, he iced his team and then had a questionable play call, which schematically I don't think was a, a play that 
was really going to work from a statistics standpoint. But I don't know what was going through Lane Kiffin's head, but he sure got it on Twitter. Everyone was tearing him apart. And people have been talking about him possibly going to Auburn because I forget who it was on Twitter that broke the news. Apparently, he had some credible news in the past, which made people believe it. But he was told that Lane Kiffin was probably going to be the next coach at Auburn and like to expect some details really soon. But Lane Kiffin came back on Twitter and was like, this is news to me. And quote retweeted that guy and basically shut down the rumors of him going to Auburn. And uh, I've heard rumors as of late that Ole Miss is looking to assign him to a big extension. So maybe this was some 3D chess that Lane Kiffin was playing to try to get some more money, which wouldn't be out of the realm of the possibility when you're talking about Lane Kiffin. But something else interesting I thought about from this game was Ole Miss fans started throwing trash on the field. Does that remind you of anything, Jonah? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Tennessee game. Yeah, and flashback last year in October when Tennessee played Ole Miss, Tennessee was absolutely thrown through the ringer for throwing trash on the field. Of course, no no one's going to forget the golf ball, the mustard bottle, everything like that. Everyone drugged Tennessee's name to the dirt, talked about how disrespectful Tennessee's fan base was, how this isn't the way to go in college football, this isn't how fans should act, and Tennessee fans should be ashamed of themselves. That's the narrative they're running with in the national media. However, for two weeks in a row, South Carolina did it to Tennessee, believe it or not. Then, a week later, when Ole Miss is playing their most hated rival, Mississippi State, they turn around and throw trash on the field during that game, too, after a bad call. So, I'm trying to figure out over here, why is Tennessee the only team burned at the stake? Why doesn't the national media go around talking about South Carolina doing this or Ole Miss doing this compared to Tennessee. Now, I know Tennessee continued doing it longer, but, you know, when 40 players go down with a alleged injury during a game to stop the clock, obvious enough that Lane Kiffin was faking injuries throughout that game, you are going to be pretty upset. And I can understand why the fans did that. Not saying that I agree with it. I think stuff like that should be out of college football. College football should be regarded as more class especially with all the traditions that take place in college football. But I just want to know why these other schools don't get the same recognition towards them and all the fingers are pointed at at Tennessee fans for being that way. I just thought it was kind of hypocritical, and maybe I shouldn't be talking about this as much as I am, but I think it shows that there's a clear bias going on in college football, whether you want to believe it or not. Now, it's not as a big deal as I'm making it out to be, but I'm just saying... It's it's unfair to point fingers at certain people and then not point them at other people when they do the same thing. It's hypocritical, and it shows that there's a clear bias. And I don't know when this bias against Tennessee started. I guess I was too young to really understand when any of this started. I don't know if Peyton Manning left a sour taste in people's mouth or what, but there's an obvious vendetta out there that needs to be addressed. But, of course, Tennessee fans, they're used to that. So I want to know what you thought about Ole Miss fans throwing trash on the field. I feel like, I don't know, to me I feel like when throwing trash on the field and getting that angry, I do agree there at least has to be some reasoning. Like you have to at least kind of understand maybe why they did it. 
at old Mrs. Case, I really don't get it. It's not it's not as crazy as something like Tennessee's was. And even in Tennessee's case, it was still so ridiculous and they shouldn't have done it. But, I mean, at least there you kind of understand uh, because Lane Kiffin already hurt the team and already made them feel, uh, already made Tennessee feel bad and kind of made the whole university be uh, worse and be in a way worse outcome than they should have been for a few years. So I get the Tennessee fans with that, but I don't know. The Ole Miss, I just feel like it was really more unacceptable to be throwing trash. And if you are, you should be held accountable, like you said, because, I mean, the Tennessee, all the Tennessee fans were being called classless and stuff just because some uh, some stupid college kids, you know, just decided they probably, and they probably had too much to drink or something, just acted up when they shouldn't have when stakes were high. Well, another thing, too, is I don't know if you remember this or not, but people are on Twitter when Tennessee first did that against Ole Miss, people were talking about, let's go back and watch the film and point out every single fan that did this and get them criminally charged with the crime and make them kicked out of the games forever. That was some of the narratives people were running with because people were so outraged that Tennessee fans can do that. But yet, when another team does it, the only people on social media talking about it are other Tennessee fans. You won't see ESPN talking about it. You won't see any of these other organizations talking about it because it ain't Tennessee. And maybe Tennessee fans should take pride in that. I don't know. To be hated. Sometimes it's fun to be the villain. But I just think that if we're going to try to act like we're unbiased here, because everyone's got a little bit of bias in them, it, we should at least try to act unbiased and at least try to hold other people accountable. I've grown up watching Tennessee for a long time, and I was absolutely disgusted at what they did. That wasn't the university that I knew. But it doesn't change the fact that other teams did it as well and did not get any hate for it. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Ole Miss fought hard to the end, and credit them for getting that turnover there at the end of the game. I mean, it really seemed like Ole Miss was going to win the game. And it would have been great for Ole Miss, too, considering like how great of a season they've had so far under Lane Kiffin, but, you know, you just got to get the job done. You got to get the job at the end of the day. Ole Miss came up a little bit short, but I'm wondering what you think about Lane Kiffin going to Auburn. Like, I heard there may be an extension. I don't know. What do you think about Lane Kiffin possibly going to Auburn? Uh, I think uh, Lane Kiffin's going to stay at Ole Miss. It really feels like uh, just his kind of school. I like everything he's built up. I like what he's been doing with the recruiting. And it looks like he's just been having a lot of fun at Ole Miss. Me personally, I just don't see him going to Auburn. And I just don't see what the purpose of there would be. I mean, even if he did consider them to have a better roster than Ole Miss does right now, I mean, the recruiting is not going to be any different. And if anything, it might even be worse because they're like, man, look at this coach that I want to build a relationship with, but, oh, he might leave in the next year or two. So, I don't know. It's just stuff like that. I just don't see Lane Kiffin wanting to tarnish his name when he already got a really bad rap. for what he did did to Tennessee. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. I think Lane Kiffin's learned from him his mistakes. As much as people want to clown on him, joke on him, and in some reasons he deserves it, but I think that he's matured a lot since he was that 34-year-old head coach at Tennessee. I mean, he's had a lot of growing up that he's had to do, and when I first heard the news about him possibly going to Auburn, there was a part of me that was shocked and a part of me not shocked, but ultimately I would say that I was more shocked than anything because I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to make the same mistake twice. 
he worked very hard to get back into Ole Miss after getting outcasted to FAU and having to become a part of Nick Saban's ragtag group of failed coaches that get a redemption story. I mean, Lane Kiffin went through a lot of trials and tribulations to get where he is is at now. And I think if you asked him looking back on it, I don't think he would have ever left to go to USC in the first place. And I think he knows that he made a mistake then. So I think Lane Kiffin's done a great job at Ole Miss, and I expect him to continue doing a great job at Ole Miss and keep making him an exciting team to watch. I mean, Quishon Judkins, one of the best running backs in the nation. There's that famous picture of him, Lane Kiffin, out there in like the freezing cold or rain or something like that at a Quishon Judkins game. It makes sense why he was waiting out there because Judkins is a beast, and he's going to continue to be good as the years progress because, like I said, he's only a freshman. But speaking of other people tied with the Auburn job, Hugh Freeze, head coach at Liberty. Another story came out that Hugh Freeze may be getting offered the Auburn job, but when he was asked about it, he said, I am not the one to tell something that is not true, which I thought was kind of funny because, you know, he's taking shots at Lane Kiffin passive-aggressively or whatnot, but, I mean, it's a little funny. I think Auburn would be smart to give Hugh Freeze another chance considering, I think, like Lane Kiffin, He's learned from his mistakes, albeit his mistakes were worse than Lane Kiffin's. Lane Kiffin just upset a fan base. I mean, Hugh Freeze, I mean, he got in trouble with the NCAA. There was the other questionable off-the-field stuff that was going on. But you know who also had off-the-field issues and completely turned it around? Steve Sarkeesian. Or I guess technically he was on the field, but there was a rumors going around to Steve Sarkeesian that he was showing up drunk to coach football games, or at least drinking before games, And then he went to Alabama, redeemed himself, and now look what he's been doing with Texas. I mean, Texas has been a phenomenal surprising team this year, and it's all thanks to Steve Sarkeesian. So if Steve Sarkeesian can get another chance, then I feel like Hugh Freeze deserves the opportunity, and there's no better place for him to go to than Auburn. I mean, I think steadily now everything that he's been doing of Liberty has showed. He single-handedly put Malik Willis into the NFL, and, I mean, he's – Still young, relatively young. I'm not sure what his age is, but I don't think he's even 50 years old. Could be wrong, but I don't even think he's 50. And he's due a big-time opportunity. But I don't know if Auburn is going to seal the deal because, you know, there's been rumors about him trying to move up for a couple seasons now. I mean, he was rumored to possibly be in contention as Tennessee's head coach when Jeremy Pruitt was fired. That wasn't the case. I mean, there's been several openings since then. I guess not enough time has passed, believe it or not, for him to get the opportunity to move up the ranks. And it seems like right now he's probably going to be staying at Liberty. But it seems like the players are obviously bothered by these rumors with Hugh Freeze because they absolutely got thrashed by New Mexico State. Yeah, I said New Mexico State. You didn't read it wrong. New Mexico State beat them 49-14. to So do you think that the players were logging in on their Twitter and thinking like, oh, crap, my coach might be leaving me? Do you think that's the reason why they may have gotten beaten as bad as he did? Or do you think that New Mexico just came in there and just outplayed them? I don't know. I mean, I could see it being on their minds a little bit, but I feel like the coach would probably be honest, I would imagine, uh, and say something uh, or maybe not. I, I I don't know. But I feel like, if anything, just New Mexico just played better than people expected. Maybe they shouldn't have been counted out when that seems like that's what was happening. 
regardless of whatever the reason is, Liberty still took it on the chin that game, but I still don't think that should deter you from hiring Hugh Freeze as your head coach. He's been deserving an opportunity for a while, and I personally don't think he's going to go to Auburn based on his comments, but what do you think about Hugh Freeze possibly going to Auburn? I think it's just one of those things where they see a coach that they they could see being at Auburn. Um, that's just what a lot of the rumors are going around because he's a good coach. But in all reality, uh, I just don't know. I don't know. Just just knowing how everything is, I could see people just being like, ah, maybe it's not the time. More time should pass. Because I don't know. People are just gotta. I mean, a lot of schools also gotta focus on media too and how people perceive their school. So. I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a little bit longer before before he finally gets a job, like at a like at SEC school. That is a good point too. I didn't think of it from a PR standpoint. I mean, a school like Auburn that is historically one of the best football programs of all time and definitely one of the best in SEC history, you would assume that they would want to save face and to have a positive reputation going forward, and. I don't think it's the same scenario because, on honestly, I think Tennessee fans were just fed up with getting so many bad coaches. But don't forget back when when Jeremy Pruitt got hired, right before Tennessee announced that they were going to hire Greg Schiano, fans did not like that. They opened up all that can of worms of everything that happened at Penn State to deter the university from hiring him as their head coach. Now, I don't think that Tennessee fans actually – cared about I mean maybe that's unfair to say because obviously everything that happened at Penn State was just probably the most saddening story that has ever been in college football and people won't ever forget it and there's no excuses for everything that happened then even on Joe Paterno's part there was no excuses but I don't think Tennessee fans were taking that in consideration when they wanted Greg Shiana not to come they said that was a reason why it's a good reason why not to have him as your coach but I think ultimately Tennessee was like no we're not going to go get some Big Ten guy to come here and just be defense only and just they they just did I don't think Tennessee fans trusted him and they canceled him in a sense canceled him in a sense so I mean that's just the story that's kind of similar to like Hugh Freeze's but then again not at the same time I think Auburn fans would be more than happy to accept Hugh Freeze as their head coach but you got to look at the university's side of things and from a PR standpoint there's going to be questions that are going to be asked at press conferences that may not be asked at the Liberty press conference People are going to be more willing to try to grill him in these rooms and try to ask him uncomfortable questions. And he's been at liberty long enough for those questions to fade inside. But I think all those same questions that we had like five years ago are going to come back if he went to Auburn just because the spotlight's going to be on him more. It's a bigger university and whatnot. So I don't know. I think Hugh Freeze would be a great coach for Auburn. But I understand why they wouldn't offer him. And there's not been an official offer, by the way, just to clear up any misconceptions. That's what Hugh Freeze was talking about in his press conference. Or at least there hasn't been any confirmed conversations between Hugh Freeze and Auburn. But it's something to keep on your mind nonetheless. But the next game I want to talk about is Florida State and Florida. So this game was really interesting. Really interesting. Coming into this game, Florida was looking to avenge their devastating loss to Vanderbilt a week prior, and they were 
going up against their most hated rival, clear-cut hated rival Florida State. They do not like each other whatsoever. And Florida, you know, they came out to play for the most part. This was a much different story than last week against Vanderbilt. But Florida State ultimately come out with a victory. For the most part, it was back and forth. Like, it seemed Florida State would score, then Florida would score, and it was just back and forth, back and forth, up until a point to where Florida State extended lead to 38-24, to and then you're like, oh, well, we should have expected this. Florida's been struggling a little bit. They're coming off a loss to Vanderbilt, and Florida State just wants this more, especially with how great Norvell's been doing at Florida State, which no one talks about, by the way. It seems like the ACC has been completely put on the the back burner. Everyone wants to talk about the Big Ten. They want to talk about Ohio State, Michigan, the SEC, of course. And then we got TCU coming out of nowhere this year. But I've heard very little about the ACC, even less about Florida State. But Florida State been playing phenomenal all this year. I mean, they even beat LSU at the beginning of the season, which I think doesn't get mentioned enough. So Florida State is a good team. They extended the lead 38-24 to in the near the end of the third quarter. But Florida ended up answering back with two back-to-back scoring drives in the fourth to tie the game up 38-38. But as soon as the Gators gained momentum, Florida State came back and scored, giving the Seminoles a 45-38 lead with four minutes left. However, once Florida got the ball back, that's when controversy ensued. On 4th and 18, Richardson lined up to pass to Douglas when an FSU defensive back broke up the pass. But this was later called back by the refs, and they they called a questionable pass interference call on the Florida State defender giving Florida the first down. But that ain't the only thing that happened. But before I get into that, Florida continued marching the ball down the field and give credit where credit is due. Richardson came out there wanting to win. He seemed very calm. I mean, of course he was running around a little bit, but that's because his offensive line didn't give him the best protection at times. And Florida Florida State was just blitzing nonstop. They were sending all their guys at Anthony Richardson because I guess they didn't think that he would be able to complete passes down the field. But with all signs point like what with Florida marching the ball down the field, all signs were pointing towards a Gators victory. I mean, Richardson just seemed unfazed by everything that was ensuing. Even when, when he was getting blitzed left and right, he continued staying in there and trying to deliver the plays. And it seemed like Florida had this victory in the bag. However, it got to 4th and 12 in the end zone, and Richardson was met by a herd of F- FSU defenders that forced him into throwing an incomplete pass. But if you go back and check the field, it was plain as day that Richardson is grabbed by his face mask during the play. But the refs never made the call. And all of this ensued on the same drive. So the pass interference that gave Florida the first down, which shouldn't have to begin with, it was 4th and 18, and they threw Florida a bone. But Florida made the most out of it and marched down the field. But then when it comes down to it, they don't call the face mask there at the end. So why do you call some penalties and don't call the others? especially when penalty you called earlier is already questionable. And are you just trying to make up for it and not call the face mask because you didn't think Florida deserved to have that chance in the first place? Well, I think that's unfair considering that they should, if they didn't want Florida to win the game and they thought that they made a mistake, then they should have just made the call right the first time. They shouldn't have thrown Florida State a bone just because they felt bad of what happened earlier in the drive. That's not how football's played. That's not how it should be. That's not how refereeing should go. So, I mean, 
if I was a Florida fan, I'd be pretty pissed off about this. But of course, you can play devil's advocate with the, with the pass interference call and everything earlier in the game. But I mean, I think bad calls are bad calls anyways. And I don't think that Florida State should have been rewarded in that situation just because the refs made a mistake earlier, if that makes any sense. So what do you think about the refs in the game, Jonah? And do you think that they purposely made bad calls to make this more interesting of a game, considering how big the rivalry is? I don't know. I could see them doing something like that. But, well, actually, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, because some of the calls were just bad. I mean, I feel like they were just bad calls, and I don't know if we've heard any more. If maybe they're looking, the NCAA is looking into it. But it just seemed like bad calls. I mean... I don't know. I you know. I guess the more I think about it, you're probably right. It probably is just them trying to make it better, just trying to make it a more interesting game. I mean, you really shouldn't do it like that because it just it gets fans really worried and no one wants their team to lose. But I don't know. I could see this just being more of a case of just trying to make the game a little, more, a little bit more interesting on a call that may or may not have happened. I mean, just from my point of view, the way that I think, I think Florida got absolutely screwed in that game. Yes, they got that pl- that pass interference call that set it up, but I don't know. I just didn't like that ref not calling the face mask play when it was obvious. But ultimately, Florida State got the win. Great team. They're probably going to go to a good bowl game this year. We'll just have to wait to see. And Norvell needs some more credit on his name. This Florida-Florida State rivalry is going to be really exciting to watch in the future, especially considering that Florida seems to come in and fight all the time. Like, this game reminded me a lot of the Tennessee-Florida the Tennessee Florida game where Florida State started coming back at the end. Like, Florida's, Florida's down at 14 points in the third quarter and then mounted a comeback, and it seemed like they were going to win. But things don't always go the way that you want to, and Florida ultimately got the loss. But great, great fight out there by the Florida Gators. And even though the play call might damper your opinions on the game if you're a Florida fan, I think you should be excited by their ability to go out there and fight. They can't get the job done yet, but I think a lot of that has to do with it's a new coaching staff. New coaching staff, the transfer portal exists, so you got players leaving everything like that. Florida will probably need a couple of years to get their feet wet and to build up a strong recruiting class, which they shouldn't have too much of a problem with considering all the best talent in high school comes from Florida, and they're right in the center of it. Florida should be able to recruit moving forward, and I expect Florida to be a good team in the future. But talking about new coaches, well, second-year head coach, Shane Beamer and his South Carolina Gamecocks beat number eight Clemson. And this, for back-to-back weeks now, South Carolina has beat a top ten opponent. It makes you wonder how things could have been different if they started playing this way earlier in the year. I mean, Spencer Radler looked like he was playing Madden out there against Tennessee's defense. And he did he did good this game, too. I mean, he did throw two interceptions, and one of them was pretty bad. But he still threw for 360 yards and ultimately just getting the win over Clemson. And this ended Clemson's long, long, I think, what was it, 40 games? I think 40 straight home games Clemson has won, and South Carolina came in there and took that away from them. Ended the streak, which is pretty funny, considering that before the game, Dabo Sweeney had a lot to say. A lot to say specifically about the University of Tennessee and how they performed against South Carolina the week prior. So, 
audio was released before the game between Clemson and South Carolina. And then Dabo Sweeney said, Tennessee will be at home flipping burgers, having a cold drink, watching championship weekend, wondering where they will be playing in the college football playoffs, and you forget that you got to go play. So taking jabs at Tennessee, saying that they look too far ahead in the season, then to turn around a week later and and look too far ahead of yourself. Dabo Sweeney, I bet you he wished he could take that back. I found this comment hilarious because he, he turned around and did the same thing. However, the main difference between Tennessee's situation and Clemson's is the fact that South Carolina is their biggest rival. And if any team should know to take the game cock seriously, it should be Clemson. So I hope Dabo takes a long look in the mirror and knows that he gave South Carolina the fuel needed to win this game. Just like last week, everyone is counting South Carolina out against Tennessee. And I'm sure Shane Beamer was in the, in their locker room pulling up tweets. Be like, look what they said about you here. Look at what they said about you there. And really lit a fire under this team. And South Carolina has been on fire. So I think if there's anyone to blame on this loss, it should be Dabo Sweeney. Especially considering that he still keeps sticking with DJ at quarterback, even though DJ has not done anything this entire season. He has been struggling just about every game this year. And I know that he threw for, what, 400 yards against Notre Dame last season, and everyone was so hype about that. But what has he done since? And it's honestly questionable that Dabo Sweeney has allowed him to play as long as he did. I mean, for this game, DJ only had 99 yards passing. He did not have 100 yards passing, and he only had one touchdown and one interception. But here, wait for it. You thought that was bad. He went 8 for 29. 8 for 29. The entire game, he only completed 8 passes. And you are telling me that this guy is good enough to lead your team, the same Clemson program that had Trevor Lawrence win a national championship as a freshman, the same one that helped put Deshaun Watson in the NFL, I think this season for Clemson begs the question of whether or not Dabo Sweeney is a great coach or if he's just a product of the talent that he has at the quarterback position because it's pretty easy to be a good team when you go from having Taj Boyd to having Deshaun Watson. I know Kelly Bryant was in there for a little bit, but we're not going to talk about that. And then turning around and having Trevor Lawrence, talk about an endless amount of wealth from the quarterback position, and then as soon as they have DJ come step in, Clemson just folds. They just fold, and after this loss, Clemson is completely out of the college football race, as they should be, but I don't know what Dabo Sweeney is thinking, keeping DJ in for as long as he did. So, with how this season has went for Clemson, do you think that their dynasty is over with? I mean, Dabo Sweeney is still a young coach, but it seems like he's kind of been losing his grip on the university as of late. What's your thoughts on Dabo Sweeney, and what do you think about Clemson ahead in the future? For Clemson in the future, I think they'll be pretty fine, at least for now, because I think Dabo Sweeney's going to stay, and I think he's going to keep working at the program to get it better. I think the only thing they really need to do is get a better quarterback. They put a, they did put a lot of trust in DJ, and I just don't feel like he's at uh, I mean, I just haven't. He just has really done nothing to prove himself to be someone who's going to get you a national championship, which is exactly what everyone's chasing for. Especially when you're already a franchise that is so accustomed to doing so good for for a while now. They've been doing pretty good, so 
I don't know. I really think if they don't get another quarterback, then they're going to have a few more years of just um, just doing terrible, and no one wants that. So I think uh, as long as you get a quarterback, the rest of the team will easily fall in place. Well, here's the thing, too. Earlier in the year, I don't remember what game it was, but they finally decided to bench DJ, and they had this quarterback. I forget his name, but I've heard he is a highly touted recruit and probably going to be the future of Clemson. They give him a shot or whatever. I don't remember what the outcome of the game ended up being. But then in a press conference when asked who is going to be your starter moving forward, he said DJ, and he's just stuck with stuck with him no matter what, which I just can't wrap my mind around. I can't just comprehend why, if your quarterback's underperforming, you keep him in, especially when you're at a big program like Clemson with all the recent success. I mean, I can understand to play devil's advocate, if I'm in Dabo Sweeney's shoes or trying to get in his head, trying to comprehend what he's been thinking this year, maybe he just wanted to go with a more experienced quarterback, which is understandable. Georgia ultimately did that with Stetson Bennett, and they pushed JT Daniels to the side, and it's worked well for Georgia. But DJ is not even as good as Stetson Bennett, and Stetson Bennett doesn't even put up that great of stats. DJ has been the most glaring issue with this Clemson team. And, I mean, experience or not, at some point you're going to have to look at talent and just have to roll with the younger guy, at least to get him enough experience to go play. I mean, maybe Clemson really thought that they were going to make the college football playoffs this year regardless of their situation. But, man, I really think that they they needed to work around and get some more quarterbacks playing time to prepare for the future because, I don't know, DJ is not the answer. But... Enough talking about Clemson. South Carolina, man, y'all fans should be very proud of yourselves this year. I mean, of course, coming into the season, everyone was hyping Shane Beamer up, and then it seemed like all that hype died down after they started struggling a little bit. They got Spencer Radler come in. He underperformed in almost every game that he played in, but had his performance of a lifetime against Tennessee, and then all of a sudden after that game, things changed. And I believe in momentum. And I believe South Carolina's got this fire lit underneath them where they're going to be a scary team moving up in the for- in the future. I'm going to go ahead and assume that many recruits have been seeing what he's been doing for the past week and are probably excited at the prospect of coming there, including Jalen Hyatt's little brother who hasn't committed to a team yet as far as I know. And I think he's been looking at South Carolina and Tennessee, of course, because his brother played there. I mean, if he's anything like his brother and how his brother's been this year, there's a player right there you can plug into South Carolina and be really good. But then, like, outside of him, you can get much better recruits, too. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if South Carolina could pull some five stars after this, or at least one. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have said some. At least one, and then get some good four-star recruit players. And who wouldn't be excited to play for Shane Beamer? A young coach that really seems to be invested in the culture and really knows how to come out there and coach ball. And you could tell that he really learns that from his father, who is a legend and should be remembered. His father is one of the most slept-on coaches in college football history, and Frank Beamer should get the respect that he deserves. But it ain't about Frank Beamer. It's about Shane. And Shane's out here getting the job done, whether you like it or not. And I'm proud of the South Carolina football team. And credit Shane Beamer for garnering national recognition in only a second season as a Gamecocks head coach. The SEC got some good young coaches coming around because we saw what Josh Heupel did this year, 
And I think Billy Napier, I don't think the door is shut on him yet. I can see him still becoming a good coach as long as he can get the locker room in check because I know the news came out recently or whatever about him pulling a scholarship away from a four-star quarterback because they wrapped the N-word in a song, which, you know, you got you to gotta be smarter, man. You got to be smarter. You got to know that cameras are going to be on you at all times. I haven't seen the video or whatever, but, I mean, I don't blame Billy Napier for doing that especially when you want to set a culture at Florida when, you know, you, you flash back to that 2018 team where 40 players were arrested and two of them had murder charges in the future. I mean, there was definitely a culture stain that was on the University of Florida that I think Billy Napier is trying to work at fixing. But Shane Beamer, man, just doing great for South Carolina. And in, in the past two seasons now, South Carolina has now beat Clemson, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And I know Auburn, Texas A&M, they've been down recently, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You look on paper, you see those wins, that is phenomenal, especially from South Carolina. And here's the thing I'm going to say about South Carolina that I don't think has been said. It is really impressive that Shane Beamer is doing this and was able to beat Tennessee and Clemson the way that he did, considering that they're at a disadvantage when it comes to those two universities. It would make more sense for Tennessee to be as successful as they've been this year than it would have been for South Carolina, considering they haven't been in the SEC the longest, and they just don't have that prestige that Tennessee has. So they've done more with less, arguably, and Shane Beamer is going to be scary coach in the future. And I always go as far to say now, your Tennessee, your Georgia, and your South Carolina, those three teams are going to be a dogfight in the SEC East. And I don't know if Greg Sankey is going to change to a unified SEC, which there's been talks of eliminating the East and the West. But if the East and the West stay around, I think it's for the first time probably since the early 2000s or 90s that the SEC East has been better than the SEC West. You know, Texas A&M's been struggling. I mean, LSU's been pretty good this year, but, I mean, we've already seen a lot out of Brian Kelly to kind of get a sense of how he's going to be as a coach. I mean, not in the SEC. I mean, he's he's exceeded my expectations, but I would say in the grand picture and grand scheme of things that it looks like the SEC East is going to be a real problem, and there's going to be some upsets going on for the foreseeable future at the perfect time. All of this is happening at the perfect time for Tennessee and South Carolina and possibly Florida to try to prevent Georgia from becoming a dynasty because if we're going to be honest here, I don't see how any team's going to stop Georgia in this college football playoffs. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to say it. Maybe Michigan's got a chance. I mean, TCU put up a lot of points this week. We'll wait and see if Ohio State gets a chance to come in. But Georgia, man, I just don't know. I think they're going to be all's national champion this year. And if there's any way to prevent Georgia from becoming Alabama, it's going to start with Tennessee, South Carolina, and Florida getting the job done when they need to. So we're going to have an exciting couple of years moving forward as Shane Beamer starts to get all the recruits together, as Josh Heupel starts to do the same, and as Billy Napier starts to make a name for himself, which I think ultimately he will. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Interesting to see for sure. But I think for the foreseeable future, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia are going to be clawing at each other. And those teams are probably going to end up playing each other out of college football playoffs. 
and everything else. So it's going to be interesting to see. But the biggest game of the week, the most talked about, the most viewed college football game, I think, on record, 17 million viewers, Michigan and Ohio State at the shoe in Columbus, Ohio. And, of course, Michigan just absolutely throttled Ohio State. At no point in this game did I think Ohio State was going to win. I mean, they just completely dominated them from start to finish, winning 45-23 to in Columbus, as I already mentioned. But fun fact about this, this is the first time Michigan has beat Ohio State in the shoe since 2000. And it has now been 1,094 days since Ohio State beat Michigan. Yep, I'm going to say it. I'm going to jump on the trend. Yep, I'm going to say it. It's been that long since... Ohio State's won. Of course, the COVID year, blah, blah, blah. But we ain't talking about that. We ain't talking about that now, are we? We're talking about Michigan hold, holding off Ohio State. And this win is also stamped Michigan's ticket to the college football playoffs for the second straight year. I mean, I unless they lose 100-0 to to Purdue in the Big Ten Championship, I don't see any way that Michigan doesn't make it. Ohio State, on the other end, It's going to be interesting to see how it's going to be moving forward. But we'll get into that later. After all the Jim Harbaugh hate and disrespect, do you think that Harbaugh has finally proven his haters wrong and has proven to be the right coach at Michigan? Yeah, I think he has. Um, I mean, I feel like he's already kind of proved it because he's always been doing really good at Michigan. But, I mean, them beating their rivals and going to the college play uh, playoffs and having a chance to win a national championship, I would definitely say he did prove a lot of people wrong, uh, even me a little bit. Because I was like, you know, he always does pretty good, but it's been taking him a while, you know. Um, I don't know, it's been taking him a while to get to playoffs and look like a real contender like that, but... uh they actually do really look like contenders, and uh, I do look uh, wrong about that. Yeah, and in case y'all forgotten, too, this is now back-to-back years that Michigan's made the playoffs. I know we forget because Georgia handled them really easily last year, but Michigan is starting to fill the role that Ohio State used to fill. You flash back a couple of years ago, well, everyone was saying the same thing. Oh, here we go again. It's going to be Alabama, it's going to be Clemson, it's going to be Ohio State, and then some teams are going to sneak in, maybe Oklahoma. But now we got Michigan filling Ohio State's roles. And now with Michigan's recent success, do you think they've now flipped the script against Ohio State? And do you think that they will continue, will continue to find success against the Buckeyes? No, I mean, I could easily see, um, well... I don't know. I mean, I could see Michigan uh, doing better than for the next year or two. Uh, just me personally, I could see that. But, uh, I mean, I think it's going to keep being a back-and-forth uh, thing uh, within the next five years or so. I think it's just going to uh, keep going back-and-forth. Well, here's the thing, though. It hasn't been back-and-forth in a while. And now it finally is starting to be back-and-forth, which I think is a really good sign for Michigan. I don't know what to think about it yet. But I think Michigan's definitely got the upper hand against Ohio State recently, especially with how exciting of a person Jim Harbaugh can be with all his antics and everything. Like, I remember a story before. I don't know if you heard this, Jonah, but uh, Jim Harbaugh was going to try to recruit a player, and he went to their house at one point. And for some reason, I don't know if it was to show that he was a football guy or what, but he wore cleats. (laughs) He wore cleats to the recruit's house. 
And the recruit's mother was like, no, no, no. <laughs> the recruit's mother was like, no, no, no. You can't be coming wearing cleats into my house. And I think Jim Harbaugh, I could be wrong with this, but I'm pretty sure Jim Harbaugh refused to take the cleats off and completely ruined his chance of recruiting that kid. But that shows he's a football guy. He's a football guy. And it's funny. It's hard not to like Jim Harbaugh, especially when you hear stories like that. I mean, it reminds me of those famous videos that came out of Nick Saban doing the Cupid Shuffle at recruits' houses to try to do anything. I mean, what other sport besides college football can you see something like this? What other sport? You don't you don't get these kind of interactions in the NBA or the NFL. And reasons like this is why college football is the best sport in the country. It may not be the most watched, but it is the best sport in the country. And uh, I think Jim Harbaugh... He's doing great things in Michigan, and it's it's fun to finally see things pan out for him because it kind of got old seeing people complaining about Jim Harbaugh when he was still pulling off nine win seasons like every year. He was pulling off like nine win seasons, like ten win seasons. I mean, the dude has been winning. He just couldn't seal the deal against Ohio State, and now he's done it two years in a row. Man, I'm so glad that Michigan kept him and kept their faith in him because it shows that Things can work out if you be patient. Not in all cases. Sometimes coaches need to go sooner than others. But Jim Harbaugh is here to stay, and I'm excited to see how it goes for him. But what do you think about this, Jonah? Many people are starting to wonder on social media if Ohio State's head coach Ryan Day was just a product of Urban Meyer's old teams. I'm not saying that, but that's what's being said on Twitter. What do you think about this sentiment? I don't know. I'm probably just going to have to disagree with that one. Why would you disagree with that one? I don't know. I mean, I just feel like he uh, he's already proved himself. There's not really uh, – I don't really think there's that much more that needs to be said. Well, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, it's a fun conversation to have at least. Maybe it's not the case. I, I'll go ahead and say it right now. Say what you want about Urban Meyer. He's one of the best college football coaches I've ever seen. He's probably the second best college football coach I've ever gotten fortunate enough to see, besides Nick Saban, obviously. So those are hard shoes to fill, but Bob Stoops' shoes were hard to fill at Oklahoma, too, and that got filled real quick by Lincoln Riley as soon as he stepped into Oklahoma. But, I mean, Lincoln Riley was there for a while, too, and I guess Ryan Day was as well, but I don't know. We're, we're, we'll just have to see how it is moving forward. I think Michigan's got the upper hand in this rivalry as of late, and I expect Michigan to continue to have success against Ohio State because you know that they're in their heads. And you know Ohio State fans, they don't want to see this. The last thing they want is to lose a chance of going to college football playoffs to their most hated rival, Michigan. That is just about the worst thing that can happen to you if you're a fringe team working on getting in, which Ohio State was not a fringe team, but now they are. And... We're going to really have to see if Ohio State can make it back into the playoffs. But speaking of playoffs, you can count one team out, and that's the Oregon Ducks. Oregon had played against Oregon State this week. Shout out to Ocho Cinco. Shout out to TJ Husmanzada, Oregon State legends. But uh, Oregon lost. They lost 38-34 to Oregon State. And I don't think many people were expecting this one, but I'm honestly not too surprised about it. I haven't really bought into the Oregon hype and talking about them being a possible playoff teams, but we don't have to do any speculation any further because they are not going to go to the playoffs. Sorry, it ain't going to happen. 
shout out to Oregon State for coming in here and and shocking Oregon. I mean, this is what happens. This is what happens. Like you got to come prepared. You got to come prepared. And Oregon and Oregon State they hate each other. So Oregon should have known going into this game that Oregon State was going to give them their best performance of the year, which they most certainly did. And because of it, they get to sit back and laugh, knowing that their rivals aren't going to go to the college football playoffs. Which I know Oregon State fans got to be happy with that. Because it's been a while since Oregon State's been a really good team that you've been that you talk about, but Oregon State does have some of the best uniforms in the country too. I know everyone wants to talk about Oregon stuff too, but people sleep in Oregon State. People sleep on Oregon State. But shout out to Oregon State for getting the job done. Them Beavers, man. Them Beavers beating the Ducks. But another interesting thing is USC beat Notre Dame thirty-eight to twenty-seven. This Oregon loss seemingly eliminated them from reaching the college football playoff, which opened the door for a possible USC team to get in. Speaking of USC, the Trojans defeated the Fighting Irish 38-17, taking home the Jules Shillelagh Trophy. In this game, Caleb Williams went 18 for 22, 332 passing yards, one touchdown, but three rushing touchdowns, no interceptions, and what seems to be his Heisman moment. This victory, I think, has sealed the deal for Caleb winning. Caleb Williams winning the Heisman, whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. I'm calling it now. And he and Vegas agrees. He is now the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman on most betting sites. Another interesting fact from the game, on Twitter, fans started to notice that Caleb Williams had, an, had F Notre Dame written on his fingernails during the game. <laughs> which I think is pretty funny. I think it's pretty funny the refs didn't figure this out, and it's pretty funny that he did that too because we've seen some oddball Heisman campaigns, and I don't know if this was for his Heisman campaign, but it's definitely something that's going to get you more talked about on Twitter, and I think it was a smart idea to do this considering that he got away with it. He faced no repercussions from doing this. He's He got the win, and now USC is probably going to go to the college football playoffs And all eyes are on Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. But speaking of Heisman, what do you think about Caleb Williams possibly winning the Heisman? And who would you pick to be your Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, Well, I'd want Hendon Hooker to win. Uh, But, um, no, I mean, Caleb Williams has put up really uh, great stats. I mean, I would like to see it more to someone like uh, Drake Maeve and Brian Honest just because... He's put up really crazy sets, too, and I think he should be considered more. And uh, more likely than not, it's probably because he's young. And uh, all the voters see him uh, having a chance to win it again. Uh, but I don't know. I guess you, you really can't go wrong picking Caleb Williams to win Heisman this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman, especially based on his performance last week. And he's put up phenomenal stats. But, I mean, I think it's a little bit unfair to not have more of a conversation around Drake May. And I know the Heisman is the most outstanding player on one of the best teams in the country. That's how it's always been. And there's definitely been better players that didn't win the Heisman over players that weren't as good just based on them being on better teams, i.e. Michigan in 1997. But... um. I think Drake May should get the consideration he deserves. I know on social media everyone loves the kid, but, I mean, he's a freshman, and I agree with you in the sense that I think that's what's holding him back from being the conversation more. I think that voters are thinking that, well, he's such a he's such a good prospect for the NFL in the future, and he's doing so well that 
why give him the Heisman Trophy now when he can very well just easily win it his junior se- senior year? I understand that, but you know Tim Tebow won it as a sophomore. Johnny Manziel won it as a redshirt fe- freshman. And if we're going to read off Drake May's stats here, it sounds awfully familiar to another quarterback I know that had three losses in a season. So, I mean, of course, Drake May's not playing for Alabama, or he would be the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman. He plays at North Carolina, and they got three losses. But Robert Griffin III also had three losses when he won the Heisman in 2011. RG3's stats went like this. He had 4,200 yards passing, almost 4,300. He had 37 passing touchdowns, six interceptions on 72 completion percentage. He also had 10 rushing touchdowns and about 700 yards rushing. But flash forward, look at Drake May. He's got 3,800, so less yards, but he has 35 touchdowns, only two less than RG3, five interceptions. Completion percentage isn't as good at 67 but he also has 629 yards rushing, which is only 70 less than RG3 did, and he has six rushing touchdowns. So on paper, their stats are very similar, and their record is identical to each other from the year when RG3 won. So, I mean, with that taking that into consideration, I think the only thing that's keeping Drake May from getting more recognition than he deserves amongst the voters is the fact that he's so young, which I think is unfair in a sense. I don't think that there should be politics being played when it comes into Heisman Trophy winning. I think that you need to be, you just need to give it to the player that deserves it the most. And I'm gonna be honest. I think Drake May deserves it the most, but I can't. It's hard to argue that Caleb Williams doesn't deserve it as well because you know he's putting up similar stats, not as good as Drake May. I mean, does have more rushing rushing touchdowns, but he also has less yards rushing. I mean, they're they're pretty neck and neck there statistically but I mean I I just don't like the fact that Drake may not getting as more consideration as he did and and ultimately CJ Stroud you know he's played his way out of the Heisman with his performance against Michigan and Hendon Hooker tearing his ACL absolutely derailed that Hendon Hooker was my favorite for the Heisman until the South Carolina game with everything happened but I'm very disappointed while we're on the topic of Hendon Hooker I'm very disappointed in the fact that He's probably not going to even go to New. He's probably not even going to get to go to New York for the Heisman ceremony, which I think he most certainly deserves it, especially what he's done for the University of Tennessee and brought them back from the depths of hell to make Tennessee a good team again, which hasn't been seen since Phil Fulmer was the head coach. Hinden Hooker has almost single-handedly brought Tennessee back to promise, and I think that that should count for something. I don't think he should win the Heisman because. Just because you got hurt doesn't mean it's a consolation prize. This ain't a pity party for Hendon Hooker. So you shouldn't give the Heisman to some player just because he got hurt and because he was going to win it anyways. That's not how the world works. That's not how college football works. But to keep Hendon Hooker out of New York is just saddening to me. Because this man has put so much effort in his university and brought Tennessee national recognition, which is probably the first time in... 15 years that Tennessee has gotten an opportunity like this and Hendon Hooker is the biggest catalyst of it so it's sad to see that his season had to end the way that it did I'm disappointed that he's probably going to be left out of New York but I think right now my three favorite people for the Heisman are Max Dugan, Drake May, and Caleb Williams but I think the nod's going to go to Caleb Williams at the end of the day.
so we'll just leave it at that. But in other news, Minnesota beat Wisconsin. Big rivalry game. If I'm not wrong, I think Minnesota and Wisconsin have played each other more times than any other college football programs have played against each other, which is pretty crazy, honestly. But, uh, yeah, Minnesota got the win. Wisconsin loses. Wisconsin's kind of had a down year this year. But, a big but, it was announced today that Wisconsin now has hired Luke Fickle to be their head coach. And, of course, we saw what Luke Fickle did last year, bringing the Cincinnati Bearcats to the college football playoffs and making Sauce Gardner look like Darrell Revis out there on the Jets. I mean, whew, woo-wee, man. If there is any coach that deserves to get another opportunity to move up, it is definitely Luke Fickle. And I am so excited about this hire. I think Wisconsin absolutely knocked it out of the park with this one. Absolutely knocked it out of the park. This is so far from what I've seen. This is the best coaching hire, and I think it's going to play great dividends for the Wisconsin Badgers moving forward. What are your thoughts on Luke Fickle getting hired as Wisconsin's next head coach? I mean, it's pretty exciting. I think he's going to do really good at Wisconsin, honestly. I think with uh, all the recruits and stuff, and honestly, they already got a pretty good, uh, pretty decent team right now. I mean, I think he can really build uh, build on Wisconsin and make them uh, a lot better, make it a really uh, interesting program. And, you know, he's got some young talent with them, too. And one of the, uh, whether or not they decide to keep him or not, they have one of the best defensive coordinators in college football as well. To go along with Allen, who has been a beast at running back, but you come to expect it with the Wisconsin, with the old John Clays, the Monty Balls, the James Whites, the Jonathan Taylors. I mean, probably the most successful college football team I've ever seen from the running back position. And it seems like whoever they get, whether he's just a nobody from nowhere, he's going to step in and be one of the better college football running backs, and that's exactly what Wisconsin has. And Luke Fickle's going to have that when he comes to Wisconsin, and recruiting is going to be way bigger than it ever was at Cincinnati. He's going to get players that he could not pull trying to go to Cincinnati. And I think that Wisconsin could be a scary team in the future that could bring some more talent back to the Big Ten because I have a problem with the way Big Ten set up. So, we, of course, we know that the Big Ten championship is going to be between Michigan and Purdue, which, listen to me right now when I'm saying this, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised if Purdue comes in there and shocks Michigan. Don't forget when they did that to Ohio State back in the day when JT Barrett was a quarterback and they came in there and punched him right in the mouth. And Rondell Moore had, like, one of the best games I've ever seen from a college football player. And he was like a freshman, I'm pretty sure. And then ten- and they knocked off Tennessee in the bowl game last year. And you can just go on and on. They beat number one Iowa, I think, last season. Purdue is the killer of dreams, just like Appalachian State. So do not be shocked if Purdue gets the win over Michigan. But everything on paper says Michigan's going to win the game. But where I was going with this is, How in the world is Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, and and you could might as well throw it in there, Michigan State, all in the same division of the Big Ten? But then in the Big Ten West, your your top three teams right now are Purdue, Illinois, and Iowa. And of course, you know Wisconsin, they just hired Luke Fickle, so I think things will change there. And Nebraska is a historically one of the best college football programs of all time, but as of late, it's the East, and that's it. I mean, I think if you plug Penn State in and put them in the West, they're probably going to be the number one team on there. But they're the third team in the East, which I think is an issue. 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know what... I guess geographically speaking, it makes sense the way that they categorize these teams, but it really sucks when the three three of the most historic teams in the Big Ten all play in the same division. I mean, it's hard to try to make the playoffs at that point, and it might be what keeps Ohio State at the college football playoffs. Ohio State's on the outside looking in then, but I think Ohio State, they're going to be probably they're probably going to be granted a more gracious ranking than they deserve. Which uh, brings me around to talk about the college football playoffs. If I'm going to rank my top four teams right now, it's going to be Georgia number one, although there's a really good argument argument for Michigan being number one. It's going to be very curious to see what we have going on Tuesday when the rankings come out. But Georgia number one, Michigan number two, TCU number three, and they earned it with their win against against Iowa State where they just absolutely throttled them 62-14. to TCU's clear-cut the third-best team. Then the fourth team, I think USC, they've snuck their way in with Oregon losing, LSU losing this week. I think USC, they're definitely going to be the fourth team coming in, and that, I think, is all set in stone for the time being. But outside looking in, where do we rank Tennessee? Where do we rank Alabama and Ohio State? Because... I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption now that I think Ohio State would be the fifth team, and I think Alabama will be the sixth team, although I don't agree with it, and then Tennessee will be seventh. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The only team I can see sneaking in at this point is Ohio State. If Alabama sneaks in somehow, Kane is going to be raised all over the college football country, and everyone's going to be wishing that the 12-team playoff happen this year opposed to the future because a two-loss Alabama team that lost to Tennessee and lost to LSU, I don't think that they're deserving to go to college football playoffs, but I guess you could say the same about Tennessee too with their hard loss against South Carolina, but I don't know. It's hard to even think about because when it comes to Tennessee and Alabama, I can see either, either of those teams being ranked ahead of each other. Alabama doesn't have as bad of losses as Tennessee, but Tennessee has much greater wins than Alabama, which sets up for a weird situation going on in the college football playoffs. And this has got to be the weirdest college football playoff situation that I've ever seen. So what do you think about the top four teams? Who do you got making the college football playoffs? Uh, I mean, of course it's going to be. I mean, I think it's going to be Michigan, uh, Georgia, TCU. And the fourth one, I guess... uh... I guess it'll have to be USC. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, I, the first three, I think, are for sure certain, of course. Uh, I don't know. I think this college football playoff, though, is going to be really interesting this uh, this year because it seems like, you know, you don't have the usual suspects like you uh, usually have been seeing in the past few years. So I think this is going to be really interesting, though. So I'm, I am, uh, even though uh, Tennessee's not in it, I am uh, excited that it's going to be uh, really uh, interesting universities that are going to be involved in the, the playoffs this year. Well, say my theory ends up being right and Purdue ends up beating Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. What do you think about Ohio State getting in? Do you think that Michigan drops out of it? I mean, they are undefeated, so I mean, it's kind of hard seeing a one-loss Michigan team that has the head-to-head victory against Ohio State. Do you think somehow, just because it's late in the year, that Ohio State could jump them, considering Ohio State's only loss is to a, a really good Michigan team, and in this scenario, Michigan's only loss would be to a very 
middle-of-the-road Purdue team. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think happens if, if Michigan loses to Purdue? I would honestly probably assume that Ohio State would uh, take their place, but I could also see it going to Michigan. I, would, I think it would probably go to Ohio State, but with with how uh, good Michigan's uh, been, I could see it actually still being Michigan, uh, and I'd rather be Michigan, but if I'm if I am to choose, I would say uh, probably Ohio State. If I'm being uh, honest, I think Ohio State would probably win uh, if uh, Michigan loses. And that could add for an interesting scenario too. With like, what do you do with USC at that point? What do you do with them? Could we possibly get Michigan and Ohio State there as like the three and four seeds? TCU moves up to two. You got Georgia number one. I mean, I think that's a possibility too, but. We don't know all the ins and outs of the college football playoffs. It's all speculation, and we don't know what's going on behind closed doors amongst the committee. But it's an interesting situation that's going on and definitely something to keep an eye on and monitor here in the next couple weeks because it's interesting. I don't think I've quite seen anything like this before. But that's pretty much it for all the major games that we've had going forth. I mean, of course, Tennessee, they answered the call against Vanderbilt, before the game even started, there was a lot of stuff going on Twitter because Kirk Herbstreet had some very interesting comments about Tennessee. And Tennessee fans weren't too happy about it, to say the least. Greg McElroy and uh, Kirk Herbstreet were talking, and Greg McElroy was talking about Tennessee being the number 10 team in the playoffs polls, and McElroy was arguing that Tennessee should be higher, but then Kirk Herbstreet came back and said, after Vandy beats Tennessee this weekend, you won't have to worry about that. Tennessee fans did not forget about that. The university didn't forget about that. And even without Hendon Hooker, Tennessee came out there and just handed it to Vanderbilt, shutting them out 56-0. to Huge win for the Volunteers, albeit their playoff hopes are probably over with. But you got to be happy with their ability to run the ball, which they probably should have done last week more against South Carolina. And maybe Tennessee would be in the playoffs right now because Tennessee had two players that had over 130 yards rushing. You had freshman Dylan Sampson, who had 131 yards, one touchdown. You had Jalen Wright, who had 160, two touchdowns. But listen to this. Jalen Wright only had five carries, and he had an 83-yard rush. Sampson also had an 80-yard rush. And Jabari Small, he finished a 79, two touchdowns. He, as well, got 52-yard run. But Jabari Small went down at some point in the game, and that's why Sampson had to fill his role. Joe Milton didn't play as good as you would hope, only having less than 150 yards and one touchdown. But Tennessee got the job done running the ball, and like I said, I really wish they would have done that last week against South Carolina and stopped trying to force passes that didn't need to be forced, and maybe South Carolina wouldn't have punched them in the mouth and completely stripped their dreams away from them. But regardless, Tennessee gets the job done. They're probably going to play in a good bowl game. And we'll wait and see who they end up playing. But I do like the idea of Tennessee playing Clemson in the Orange Bowl. I mean, this this crap writes itself. You got an Orange team versus an Orange team playing in the Orange Bowl. There, there ain't nothing better than that. that. That would definitely be the most watched game outside of the college football playoffs come time bowl season if it ends up being the case, which I really hope so. Just for the love of college football, I think that would be something great to have. And, of course... Outside of the Tennessee game, Alabama absolutely handles Auburn, who's still trying to fill that coaching vacancy. Shout out to Cadillac Williams for trying to do the best he could with this Auburn team, but it's hard It's hard to 
you know, try to compete with Alabama considering you fired your coach earlier in the season. So I don't think many people expected Auburn to win, albeit they usually play pretty well against Alabama. But Alabama getting a strong victory like this is definitely going to help their case if they're trying to make it to the college football playoffs. And then, of course, Texas A&M came in and shocked LSU, winning 38-23. to Pretty interesting considering that Texas A&M ain't even going to make a bowl game this year, which took a lot of people by surprise because you got people out here thinking that Texas A&M was going to go to the playoffs before the season even started, and that absolutely was not the case, not even by a long shot. But LSU, they're out. No more playoffs for them, which it's sad in a sense because LSU really started picking up at the end, and Jaden Daniels is really performing well. But, I mean, to say that I'm surprised about this, I'm not. I'm not really because I think LSU was kind of like overhyped with to begin with. I mean, they lost to Florida State at the beginning of the year, and I'm not trying to throw shade at Florida State. They've been a pretty good team, but they lost to Florida State at the beginning of the year, and they got blown out by Tennessee. So, I mean, LSU probably wasn't going to do anything in the college football playoffs anyways, and this is probably a better route if you want to be more entertained and have more exciting games than LSU being outside of the college football playoffs. It's probably for the best, but you got to feel bad for those LSU fans. I know Tennessee fans felt awful last week. It's just such, just such a weird situation going on in college football this year, especially at the SEC. So much crazy stuff has happened. People stopped talking about Alabama up until late, and I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting, but I know it's uh, we're not there yet, but it's going to be hard to beat Georgia going into the college football playoffs, and I fully expect them to win the national championship unless Michigan comes in with a Cinderella-type season, which I wouldn't be too surprised to see considering how easily they handled Ohio State, but... Georgia just seems like such a good team. Even when they play bad, they can still find a way to win. They're just gifted with great players and great coaching. Kirby Smart's probably the best coach in college football at this moment, and Georgia's probably going to win another one. But that's pretty much all the interesting games. Of course, Georgia got it, handled the job against Georgia Tech, and Kentucky beat Louisville, which good for them, as expected. Kentucky's been handling Louisville pretty easily as of late, and don't forget when Lamar Jackson won a Heisman after losing three straight games, including to Kentucky, which goes again, which reminds me again of how Drake May has been royally screwed this season considering stuff like that, albeit, like, you know, Lamar Jackson's one of the best college quarterbacks of all time and definitely had a great season, but losing three straight games ain't nothing special to me, and that it doesn't tell me that you're the most dynamic player on the best team in the country. That's not the definition that I would look for. Losing to Kentucky and losing three straight games just ain't it for me. But who knows? Who knows? Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman, and we'll see what else happens with the playoffs. But this has been another episode of the Encroachment Podcast, and thank you guys all for listening. I am your host, Jordan Binkley. I'm your host, Jonah Binkley. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.